Book two, chapter four of the crossing by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter four. I cross the mountains once more. "'Tis what you've a right to, Davy," said Polly Ann, and she handed me a little buckskin bag on which she had been sewing. I opened it with trembling fingers and poured out, chinking on the table, such a motley collection of coins as was never seen. Spanish milled dollars, English sovereigns and crowns and shillings, paper issues of the Confederacy, and I know not what else. Tom looked on with a grin, while little Tom and Peggy reached out their hands in delight, their mother vigorously blocking their intentions. "'Ye've earned it yourself,' said Polly Ann, forestalling my protest. "'Tis what you got by the mill, and I've laid it by bit by bit for your education.' "'And what do you get?' I cried, striving by feigned anger to keep the tears back from my eyes. "'Have you no family to support?' faith she answered we have the mill that she gave us and the farm and tom's rifle i reckon we'll fare better than ye think though we'll miss ye sore about the place i picked out two sovereigns from the heap dropped them in the bag and thrust it into my hunting shirt there said i my voice having no great steadiness not a penny more i'll keep the bag for your sake polly ann and I'll take the mare for Tom's. She had had a song on her lips ever since our coming back from Danville seven days agone, a song on her lips and banter on her tongue, as she made me a little hunting shirt and breeches for the journey across the mountains. And now, with a sudden movement, she burst into tears and flung her arms about my neck. Oh, Davy, tis no time to be stubborn, she sobbed and edication is a costly thing ever since i found ye on the trace years ago i've thought of ye one day as a great man and when ye come back to us so big and learned i'd wish to be saying with pride that i helped ye and who else polly ann i faltered my heart racked with the parting you found me as a homeless waif and you gave me a home and a father and mother davy ye'll not forget us when ye're great i know ye'll not tis not in ye she stood back and smiled at me through her tears the light of heaven was in that smile and i have dreamed of it ever since age has crept upon me truly god sets his own mark on the pure in heart on the unselfish i glanced for the last time around the rude cabin every timber of which was dedicated to our sacrifices and our love the fireplace with its rough stones, on the pegs the quaint butternut garments which Polly Ann had stitched, the baby in his bark cradle, the rough bedstead and the little trundle pushed under it, and the very homely odor of the place is dear to me yet. Despite the rigors and the dangers of my life here, should I ever again find such happiness and peace in the world? the children clung to my knees and with a god's bless you davy and come back to us tom squeezed my hand until i winced with pain i leaped on the mare and with blinded eyes rode down the familiar trail past the mill to harrodsburg 
There Mr. Neville Colfax was waiting to take me across the mountains. There is a story in every man's life, like the kernel in the shell of a hickory nut. I am ill acquainted with the arts of a biographer, but I seek to give in these pages little of the shell and the whole of the kernel of mine. T'would be unwise and tiresome to recount the journey over the bare mountains with my new friend and benefactor. He was a strange gentleman, now jolly enough to make me shake with laughter and forget the sorrow of my parting, now moody for a night and a day. Now he was all sweetness, now all fire, now he was abstemious, now self-indulgent and prodigal. He had a will like flint, and under it a soft heart. Cross his moods, and he hated you. I never thought to cross them. Therefore he called me Davy, and his friendliness grew with our journey. His anger turned against rocks and rivers, landlords and immigrants, but never against me, and for this I was silently thankful. And how had he come to take me over the mountains and to put me in the way of studying law? Mindful of the kernel of my story, I have shortened the chapter to tell you out of the proper place. Major Colfax had made Tom and me sup with himself and Colonel Clark at the inn in Danville. And so pleased had the Major professed himself with my story of having outwitted his agent that he must needs have more of my adventures. Colonel Clark gave him some, and Tom, his tongue loosed by the toddy, others. And the Colonel added to the debt I owed him by suggesting that Major Colfax take me to Virginia and recommend me to a lawyer there. Nay, cried the Major, I'll do more. I like the lad, for he is modest despite the way you paraded him. I have an uncle in Richmond, Judge Wentworth, to whom I will take him in person. And when the judge is done with him, if he's not flayed and tattooed with Blackstone, you may flay and tattoo me. Thus did I break through my environment, and it was settled that I should meet the Major in seven days at Harrodstown. Once in the journey did the Major make mention of a subject which had troubled me. Davy, said he, Clark has changed. He's not the same man he was when I saw him in Williamsburg demanding supplies for his campaign. Virginia has used him shamefully, sir, I answered. And suddenly there came flooding to my mind things I had heard the Colonel say in the campaign. Commonwealths have short memories, said the Major. They will accept any sacrifice with a smile. Shakespeare, I believe, speaks of royal ingratitude. He knew not commonwealths. Clark was close-lipped once, not given to levity and to toddy. There, there, he is my friend as well as yours, and I will prove it by pushing his cause in Virginia. Is your Scotch anger? Then the devil fiend me from it. A monarch would have given him fifty thousand acres on the Wabash, a palace, and a sufficient annuity. Virginia has given him a sword, eight thousand wild acres to be sure, repudiated the debts of his army, and left him to starve. Is there no room for a genius in our infant military establishment? At length, as Christmas drew near, we came to Major Colfax's seat some forty miles out of the town of Richmond. 
It was called Neville's Grange, the Major's grandfather having so named it when he came out from England some sixty years before. It was a huge, rambling, drafty house of wood, mortgaged, so the Major cheerfully informed me, thanks to the patriotism of the family. At Neville's Grange the Major kept a somewhat boisterous bachelor's hall. The place was overrun with negroes and dogs, and scarce a night went by that there was not merrymaking in the house with the neighbors. The time passed pleasantly enough until one frosty January morning Major Colfax had a twinge of remembrance, cried out for horses, took me into Richmond, and presented me to that very learned and decorous gentleman, Judge Wentworth. My studies began within the hour of my arrival. End of chapter 4